Hi, I'm Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. My topic today is Security Analytics, Taking a Fresh Look, and it's my privilege to be speaking with Drew Gidwani. He's Director of Analytics with ThreatConnect. Drew, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us, Tom. Drew, everybody is talking about analytics today, but what is analytics beyond just a popular buzzword? It's really an investigative way to look for patterns in data, uh, usually with the hope of predicting some kind of future outcome. In security, we obviously have a very difficult job. We're trying to go up against human adversaries that can be well-funded, well-trained, and generally they only have to be right once to make our lives really difficult. Anything that helps us shift to proactive identification of that behavior is a must-have. Tightening timelines for incident responders and network defenders when those adversaries eventually do get through is pretty critical as well. So analytics help us bridge that gap a bit by identifying those patterns so that we can predict adversary behavior a bit better. So Drew, talk to me about our security industry today. How do you see analytics being deployed? It really depends on the pattern you're looking for and what you're trying to predict. I could sit here and talk for hours about the different kinds of analytics that we see out there. I think it's kind of interesting to slice and dice it based on the size of the data that you're looking at or the computational nature of the problem at hand. And so there's three kind of categories that I like to put these things into. You'll probably hear people talk about big data. You may hear people talk about data that's just too big for you. And then there's kind of regular data, which isn't as sexy, so it doesn't get talked about as much. Uh, starting kind of from the bottom, you know, regular analytics, anytime that you're asking a question of your data to figure out a pattern, even if it's a completely manual thing, you're doing an analytic. If you're asking, is this ASN a bad neighborhood for an IP address to live in, that's you looking for a pattern that would help you take proactive action against future IP addresses that you might see, right? You're, you're kind of convicting them by association and that predictive behavior is really helpful. That data can get too big for you though pretty quickly. And I kind of draw the line there based on uh, things that are too, too big for an individual or a team just based on the resources that they have available. How do you actually say that that ASN is, is a bad neighborhood for an IP address to live in? Do you have enough information about all the constituent IP addresses that live there to make that determination? What's your heuristic for doing that? And how timely is that information? And how confident are you in all of that? That quickly becomes a little intractable for, for a team or for an individual to do adjacent to their day job. And then that too big for you data can become truly big data if you start to collect even more things around it. And when those things just become too computationally intensive to do without some really cool technology, uh, you start to have to move into some specialized means and methods to get it done. That could be disparate data sources that need normalizing. If you want to start doing time series analysis and so on, uh, if you wanted to profile every single IP address in that ASN and maybe every domain that resolves to every one of those IP addresses and then start looking for changes that might indicate malicious behavior, now you've got a really big information need, a really big computational need and so on. That's really just one example. You know, there's analytics for discovery, reputation, classification, prioritization. I could go on forever and you know, name other things that end in ION. Uh, the key, though, is that I think there's a lot of different types of information needs, and each of those information needs could be tackled at kind of different scales. And even if you are kind of taking a bite out of that, it can be really tough to gauge how well an analytic is performing when you're doing your day job off fighting fires in the SOC or as an incident responder. 
So, Drew, it's easy to see that people could be at risk of information overload, maybe even paralysis. What can be done to make sure that these analytics are actually helping the people as they're intended to? So, as I mentioned before, I think if an analytic is meant to be predictive, then we can be helpful by making sure that those predictive insights are being delivered in an actionable way. And in order to, to do that, you really need to tailor the insights and the analytics and how they're being delivered based on the consumer and the information need that you're answering. Uh, so for example, Cal, our collective analytics layer, provides a lot of human readable context for an analyst. Uh, one simple example is that Cal can tell you if a particular IP address is owned by Amazon, it's used for their AWS infrastructure, it does such and such a service in such and such a region. So an analyst who's in the middle of an investigation and encounters that knows how to handle that appropriately. Cal also provides classifiers so that all of the machines that are reading information about that IP address, uh, they can categorically take actions like block or whitelist things based on that information. And there's other types of analytic outputs like indicator reputation, which can be a simple score, right? We use a zero to 1000 scale uh, that allows both types of consumers to make use of that information. And so in general, I think that if those insights are tailored appropriately for that information need and for the actions that the consumers themselves need to take, then you're gonna be at less of a risk of increasing the overload. Drew, you talked about machines as consumers. Can you explain how people can start to automate analytics in their security operations? So there are a lot of problems with information overload, like you mentioned. Um, I like to look at it both within a team and kind of across teams, you've got different sets of problems. Within a team, you largely have to worry about scale and the too big for you kind of problem. Even if you've got great analytics, people just get fatigued when they're presented with too much information, no matter how valid it is. Uh, so a good analytic will probably bubble things up to the top. If you can prioritize things appropriately, save people time on actions, uh, all that stuff can be pretty critical when it's automated. So we've had this in the industry for a while. Uh, now you can click a button to perform an enrichment or a lookup Analysts used to have to do all that stuff manually and copy and paste into spreadsheets and emails and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and it's good that that's no longer the norm, but a good analytic will tell somebody that they need to push that button a thousand times. And here are the 50 really critical ones that you need to start with. When you start working across teams, things get a little stickier. Uh, you've got disparate processes. You've got people with different access levels. Uh, you've got people that have different information needs and so on. So the ability to kind of orchestrate these processes in a repeatable fashion is the holy grail. And I think we're starting to move in that direction as an industry. Having orchestration means that your automation itself can be put to work in a way that's actually a force multiplier. Uh, those enrichments that you got by pushing that button can now drive SOC or incident response processes way faster. And as they finish their investigations, the, the artifacts that come out of that can juice any further intel-driven investigations and that cycle can continue to feed itself. So, Drew, given the emphasis on efficiency, on scale, what are the risks for an organization that fails to adopt orchestration as you described it? Well, I think you're going to have one of two issues. Either you're going to have to stop growing or way more likely you're going to outgrow your defense capabilities as an organization. Uh, we can kind of discount the first one, right? It's not realistic for SOC or IT managers to tell their leadership, sorry, boss, we're not going to deploy a thousand new laptops to that new worksite. I don't think Drew over there has the bandwidth to track them. Uh, those laptops are gonna get ordered and that new worksite is getting its new network. And if you're an IT or a security professional, you've basically just inherited that juicy new surface area as far as an attacker is concerned. 
So at some point, we kind of hit this asymptote when it comes to manpower. You can't just say that for every X laptops, we're going to hire Y more security people. Uh, there's not an infinite pool of security people out there. That doesn't really scale well. You know, and those security people are very expensive. And the funny thing is that with the investments that you've already made, you should, in theory, be getting more information as you deploy more assets, right? It's a network effect. It's the opposite of a diminishing return. Uh, the beast that hungers for information can be better fed, assuming that you can digest it. I think orchestration is the only way to make sure that those insights can still be gleaned at scale across all those different teams, across those geo boundaries and things like that. How do you get the telemetry from those 1,000 laptops and the new network infrastructure at that work site? How do you swirl that into all the other telemetry that you've already got and the threat intel that you're pulling in? And even if you find something suspicious, what do you do? How do you reach out to that new work site? Orchestration is the only way that you can kind of implement those processes without saying, well, we'll just hire five new security people. Uh, some places do hire five new security people, and then they end up having a lot of budget issues down the line because they can't keep up with the new information needs. So talk to me about what you're doing at Threat Connect. How are you helping organizations succeed at orchestration? So we're trying to focus on getting that network effect fully operationalized in people's IT and security programs. Uh, generally, getting all of that stuff into one place is a solvable problem that isn't entirely solved in the industry. Uh, similarly, normalizing that information is solvable, but not entirely solved in the industry. Adding analytics and orchestration on top of that is another issue and, and tier of issues that we're tackling pretty aggressively. Uh, we want to make sure that those human and those machine consumers that we talked about, regardless of what team they're on or what function they have, can work together at the scale they need to. That means a lot of automation, a lot of orchestration, a lot of processes being captured. And more importantly, those processes also need to be measured. And then we can juice them wherever we can. Beyond the core platform where we do all that, we use Cal, which I mentioned earlier, and that adds our own expertise and tradecraft on top of your data set. Uh, Cal can answer questions on millions of artifacts or tell you about something before you even know to ask about it, which makes all the problems that we've talked about so far way more tractable. Drew, a final question for you. If you were to boil it down to a single piece of advice for someone who's looking to start implementing some analytics or orchestration in their security program, what would that advice be? I mean, orchestration does what it says on the tin. It takes a disparate set of pieces and it makes them work together. Uh, for that to work, each of those pieces has to understand their role and be able to execute it well. A good coach knows when to put which players into which situation in the game, which plays the call and so on. Uh, but there's also an onus on the players, obviously, to practice and know the playbook and all that. If you're looking to dip your toe into orchestration and analytics, I'd recommend ensuring that you have a very firm grasp on what processes you're doing manually and where you're running into trouble. Where are they working? Where are they not working? The last thing that you want to do is add automation to the wrong thing and then end up scaling up a mistake into a really big mess. I mean, none of us has all the pieces that we feel we want in our job. Uh, none of us can say that all those pieces are firing at 100%, but being really aware and honest about those gaps should help you identify the best opportunities uh, where you could fill them with analytics and orchestration. Well said. Drew, thanks so much for your time and insight today. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. We've been taking a fresh look at security analytics, and I've been speaking with Drew Gidwani, Director of Analytics with Threat Connect. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.